1: This is Ben Jackson. I'm the producer of this podcast, and usually I'm behind the scenes where you don't have to hear me. But this week, and every once in a while, I get to do something special, which is to interview my friend, Alyssa Milano, who's usually the host of this podcast. With Alyssa's longtime work as an activist for women's rights and for equality, and given the national attacks against women from the right happening both on the federal and at state levels, we thought it was a good chance for us to sit down and talk about the state of women's rights and what is being done to protect them. So I hope you'll enjoy this interview with my dear friend, Alyssa Milano. The struggle for an equal rights amendment traces back to 1923 when feminist Alice Paul wrote the words that became ERA.
0: decision has many at home asking, could pregnancy loss land people in prison? That might sound kind of crazy to you, but one pregnancy advocacy group actually says yes and argues it's already happening. Melissa Milano was a visible
1: presence inside the committee room at the Kavanaugh hearing. She revealed last week that she did not tell her parents that she had been sexually assaulted for 30 years.
0: Well, I've been an activist since I was 15 years old, and to me, uh, and how I've always felt about it, is there's no reason to be a celebrity, uh, to be famous, if you're not going to use your voice for those that have no voice. Hi, my name is Alyssa Milano, and I believe that you should use your platform, however large, however small, to make positive change in the world. Sorry. Not sorry.
1: Alyssa, welcome back to your own podcast.
0: Why, thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here.
1: A lot has changed since you were the guest here last.
0: Has it, though? Has it changed?
1: Yeah, yeah. Not for the better, but things are different, and we're going to talk about them. But let's start with the Equal Rights Amendment. And I guess let's just say, is it in the Constitution yet? Nope.
0: The second question I would ask if I was doing this interview <laughs> is, was it ratified?
1: Well, was it ratified?
0: Yes, it was.
1: Yeah. So what the hell? What gives?
0: I think we're closer than we've ever been before. Let me just say that. I think that there has been some real movement that's very exciting. I mean, Ayanna Pressley and Corey Bush have launched an ERA caucus to make the 28th Amendment, the Equal Rights Amendment, the ERA, a priority. And I think that is really exciting.
1: All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I have to say that my heart is overflowing with gratitude to all of you for being here today. I am Congresswoman Corey Bush of the great district of St. Louis. It's, Woo-hoo! Yeah. Woo-hoo! it's in Missouri. Um uh and we are here to celebrate the launch. We're working on Missouri now. We're working on Missouri. We're here to celebrate the launch of the first ever congressional caucus for the Equal Rights Amendment. First ever.
0: We had our first judiciary committee hearing which was in March of this year since 1984 which is pretty incredible. And at that hearing, there were constitutional law scholars and advocates and lawmakers from both sides of the aisle, which I think is really important to say that this is an issue that has bipartisan support. The hearing was really outstanding. They made the case for enshrining equality in the Constitution, gender equality, which we do not have. And it focused on the joint resolution that was filed by Presley in the House and Ben Cardin. God bless that man. He tries every single session to get this done. But he's got a resolution in the Senate, which would basically remove the arbitrary timeline for ratification. So what happened in 1970-whatever is that... The Equal Rights Amendment passed, but with this weird timeline, which was eight years originally, that they had to ratify, get 38 states to ratify, and they fell short by three states in the eight years provided. They extended this arbitrary deadline, which, by the way, the deadline is in the preamble of the amendment. It's not even part of the amendment.
1: None of the states voted on the preamble.
0: Exactly. They gave them a two-year extension, and they didn't get it done. They fell short by three states, which, if you think about it, in the 80s, three states decided that women should not have constitutional protection. And then what happened miraculously, we had the Grab em by the Pussy video, and then we had the Women's March, and then we had Me Too, and we had this swell of feminism, and then we had this incredibly miraculous thing happen, which was in Nevada, a state senator named Pat Spearman, she actually put it in motion again and got Nevada to ratify. And we thought, oh, my gosh, is this thing still alive? Is there a possibility Illinois followed suit? And we were like, oh, and then we only needed one more state. And about two and a half years ago, Virginia became the 38th state to ratify. So really, our tactic, and I'm on the board of the ERA Coalition, was to instruct the archivist that, look, we've met every constitutional requirement to get the 28th Amendment in the Constitution. Please publish it.
1: And we should say the archivist is the person who's sort of responsible for publishing laws, including amendments to the Constitution. They work for the executive department.
0: And this is not a lengthy amendment. It is very few words. It just says equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. And in all of my fight for this, for the ERA, which has become my tombstone issue, I'm going to see this thing through. (laughs) But everybody I talk to is shocked. Most Americans think that this is already in our Constitution.
1: People are also surprised the protections don't already exist. Even in the year
0: 2023, American women make 83 cents on the dollar compared to their male counterparts. It took decades for the Equal Rights Amendment to pass, and that
1: was five
0: decades ago. Since
1: 1923, the Equal Rights Amendment was
0: introduced in every session of Congress.
1: Yeah, and you know, This is the thing that drives me crazy is that we often think about the Republicans as the opponents to this. And when you've testified on this and when we've seen other people testify, and it's traditionally been white Republican congressmen who have been the most vocal opponents to it, who have just tried to get in the way of it, who have prevented it from happening. But Virginia ratified in 2020, and in January of 2021, Democrats took control of the House and the Senate and the presidency. So why didn't we get it done then? What happened? Why is there no political will on our side for it? Like, what's the president's responsibility in this right now?
0: I got to say, it's probably the same reason why we haven't or we didn't ban assault weapons when we had the House and the presidency and the Senate. I will say, though, that not that all badness goes back to Trump, but the 2020 Justice Department Office of Legal Counsel released a memo weeks before Virginia ratified the amendment stating that the ERA resolution expired after its 1982 deadline, and that basically any state ratification that happened after 1982 was null. That happened, and there has been a pretty enormous pressure campaign to get Biden to take back that memo or to change that memo or to write his own memo
1: Because we do have a new Justice Department now, right? Like Merrick Garland is the attorney general.
0: That's right. And it's interesting because nobody can get a meeting with him. And so that has been super frustrating. And it has been tweaked. That memo has been tweaked. But basically, it was tweaked to allow Congress to attempt to move the deadline. It stopped short of fully rescinding that Trump-era legal memo opposing the ERA. I would love to say that we are further along. It feels like we are, especially with this new caucus. It's going to take years to get it published in the Constitution as soon as all of these resolutions pass. So maybe we're five years away.
1: And that's if we can get it through the House GOP right now or take the House back in two years.
0: If there is any good news, is if we're going off the vote, on the Jackie Spear bill from the last session that passed, there was bipartisan support, and we would only need four Republicans to vote yes. And I think that those four Republicans in the House are there. I got to believe that there are four people who believe that an equal rights amendment is long overdue, but also necessary.
1: And now you mentioned earlier that most people that you talk to believe that the ERA is already in the Constitution, that it is already constitutionally illegal to discriminate against somebody based on sex. And we see a lot of opponents of the ERA try to play into that and say that, no, the 14th Amendment covers this. Do you want to tell them why they're wrong?
0: I mean, it seems so basic, doesn't it? But here's the deal. You know, I think lawyers have done law in general. I think scholars have done a really good job manipulating the 14th Amendment to include women and women's rights. But anyone who can count would know that the 14th Amendment is a whole five amendments before our right to vote, which is the 19th Amendment. So clearly, when they passed the 14th Amendment, it did not include women's rights. It's been 100 years since women were promised the right to vote. That milestone came when the 19th Amendment to the US Constitution was ratified in August of 1920. But that promise of the right to vote, for many, that promise went unfulfilled for decades, even after the 19th Amendment. And the weight of the Constitution being behind discrimination. Based on gender and sex. So I don't think, and I'm not a constitutional scholar by any means, but logically, when you have the 19th Amendment that came a full five amendments after the 14th Amendment, and it only gave us the right to vote, clearly the 14th Amendment wasn't intended for women or gender equality.
1: And it seems to me that there's just a lot of bad faith arguments that opponents seem to use the confusion of the public on the issue as a blind to get away with it.
0: And also, you know, the Bible has been construed to mean things that it didn't mean. The Constitution is also a part of that. You know, we see it all the time with the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms. They seem to forget the well-regulated militia part.
1: That's somewhere in the front. That's not the part that they meant it. There's nothing well-regulated about 46,000 people dying from gunshots every year in this country. And that's certainly not what the founders intended.
0: Was there a point, though, where they were like, you know what? Grenades should not be allowed for hunting. When was that? Was that an argument that was made?
1: These are things that have happened over a period of time. I don't think anyone actually ever argued this. As weapons developed, they were restricted, right? You can't buy military weapons. You can't go down to your local gun shop and buy a 50 caliber machine gun to mount on top of your lifted Dodge pickup truck, right? Like you can't do these things. We already, in fact, infringe the right to have some weapons because people understand you can't have a guy driving around Louisville with a 50 caliber machine gun on the back of his truck. And you also can't have that guy with an AR-15, but somehow that distinction gets lost makes absolutely no sense to me but yeah i worry that if we actually start having that argument (laughs) we'll start losing that
0: do you think it's because we have turned our police force into militarized i mean i saw that body cam video from one of the mass shootings that we've had recently there have been many you know i saw the weapon that the police person was using I feel as though it's this cyclical thing. Like, obviously, the police department needs to be able to fight fire with fire. Because we've militarized the police force so much, because the fight fire with fire, sort of, they need that gun in that situation. They can't go in with a handgun. When a mass murderer has an AR-15, can a policeman go in with a lesser of a weapon?
1: But is the answer to give the policeman a bazooka, or is it to take the AR-15 from the person holding up the bank? The answer has to be different than what we're seeing. But yeah, I think that there's something that's almost cartoonish about it, right? And I don't mean to make light of it, but you see, you know, Bugs Bunny, or, you know, Yosemite Sam pulling out a small gun, so you have Elmer Fudd pulling out a bigger gun, and then a bigger gun, and a bigger gun, until you get to missiles. And now you're a- getting out of town. Oh, no, I ain't. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I ain't. Oh! Where does it end when, in fact, you could stop it at the beginning? It's also militarization from a weaponry standpoint of police, but there's a culture, a military culture that exists there. We talk about the uniforms and the ranks. And in the military, that's important because it's designed to create a cohesive unit that is to resist outsiders, which is the exact opposite of what policing, I think, should be doing. I'd rather see police dressed like Geek Squad, you know, (laughs) than the military.
0: But this is the problem... With every issue that we're talking about is it's not just issue-based that is where people are coming up with common sense solutions. There is a culture war happening in this country with every single one of these issues. Even if you look at the ERA, their reason to be against the ERA is because they think it will lead to abortion rights or trans rights. And The truth of the matter, I mean, that's what we hope it will lead to, but none of it's been tested because we don't have an ERA. So we don't know. All we know is that women, that a lot of the burden in the workplace, in the workforce, comes down to just gender discrimination. If you're not a white dude, by the way, a white cis man, you have less opportunity for success, for Basic things, and it's way past time.
1: This should be easy, right? Like, it should be really easy to say our foundational document says you can't discriminate based on sex. That's not a hard thing that anyone should have a problem with.
0: The land of the free, and yet they want to tell me what to do with the body. The land of the free, and yet they want to tell me what books we can and cannot read. The land of the free, and yet they want to tell teachers how. To teach a fake history of our country, the land of the free, but my kids can't go to school without lockdown drills. There's nothing free about this land right now.
1: Nothing at all. It's not freedom in any measurable sense. And even more than the land of the free, you look at the opening words of the Constitution, we the people, and the Constitution explicitly excludes more than half of the people. It does not include women who are more than half of the people. It doesn't include children. It doesn't include a lot of people. But we the people are the first words in our foundational document. And yet it is not we the people. It's we the me, right? It's we the people just like me, a middle-aged white guy. And that's ridiculous. You mentioned the workplace. And I think for the past year, I've been teaching in college. And it's even before the workplace where we're seeing right now, women graduating from college are dramatically outpacing men really dramatically. There's a very rapid shift that is happening there where women are entering the workplace more educated and for certain jobs more qualified because of that. And yet at the same time this is happening, and it's hard for me to believe that it's a coincidence, there is a student debt crisis that has exploded in this country. And I'm wondering what you think about the burden of student debt falling on women and how that may impact women achieving financial equality in the workplace when we still have this wage gap.
0: Americans hold 1.7 trillion in student loan debt and almost two-thirds of that money is owed by women. If you think about that and I think there was research and I don't know if it was the American Association or the National Women's Law Center or whatever, But women with bachelor degrees graduate with an average of, this number is crazy, 3,000 more in student loan debt than their male peers. And if you think about the fact that we make so much less money, which the white man also doesn't think that's like a real thing, it takes us longer because we're not paid the same amount. I thought one of the bravest moves that Joe Biden made was he said, I'm going to make it a priority to forgive $20,000 in student loan debt for middle and low income Americans. And I think it's at the Supreme Court now, right? There's two cases.
1: There are a whole bunch of cases that are pending, right? So, a coalition of states filed suit to block this student loan debt forgiveness. And there's some question as to whether or not they have standing in it, although Missouri has its own public student debt office, basically, so they may be the test case, whereas these other states that are involved in it do not. But currently, the program is blocked as a court order while that case pens through. And there are other cases that are going to follow suit. But it could be that Missouri is able to block student debt forgiveness for every single person in America. And we could see a decision from the Supreme Court as early as this June, and it will carry sweeping financial and political implications for years to come. Missouri, right in the middle of it all, is one of six red states that sued the Biden administration to block it. Missouri Senator Eric Schmidt said the president has no authority to unilaterally cancel nearly a trillion dollars of student loan debt and warrant a decision like this would, quote, add to the deficit and economic woes. Congresswoman Cori Bush fired back, calling those arguments baseless and politically motivated. A key in this case is whether Mohala, the state's student loan corporation, would be harmed if the government forgives this debt. Remember that this government just a few years ago passed a tax cut for wealthy people that is the exact same amount, $1.7 trillion, as we hold in student loan debt, and yet they say we can't afford it.
0: Isn't it just fucking insane?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely insane.
0: Of course, like everything else, this falls really hard on women of color in particular, which are paid significantly less than educated men of the same jobs. I don't know how people are expected to come out of this.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. And you see people who are 70 years old and they are still paying student loans because of the compounding interest over and over again. And it still weighs on them. It weighs on them forever. There's no way out of it. One of the things that I think Biden did best in this is that for all student borrowers of federal student loans, he was forgiving $10,000. But then for people who receive Pell Grants, which are for lower income borrowers, There's an additional $10,000, and that dramatically speaks to the debt of people of color and particularly the women of color who are by far the largest recipients of these grants. So there's not only like an inherent sexism that underlies the opposition to this, but there's an inherent racism too, right? That, That we can't give money to let people who have been excluded from the educational system to feel like they can pay into the system. It is an inherently racist act, an inherently sexist act. To oppose this. It should be, again, an easy thing to do. It should be an easy thing to say, yeah, this is a good thing for our country when we educate people. It's better for all of us to have an educated populace. But instead, they make up lies about critical race theory and gender theory and make it seem as though this is some sort of boogeyman hiding out there to corrupt children. When in fact, it's been part of the educational training for advanced degrees largely for a very long time. Whether or not they like it, it is part of how our society functions. And you can't just pretend it's not there, but they make this big deal about it to scare people. And people, when they're afraid, they tend to vote for Republicans.
0: Bottom line is, college should be affordable for everyone, not just those who can afford it. And to not believe that is so racist. To not believe that college should be affordable for everyone is racist. They don't think racism exists. They don't think sexism exists. You can show them money. You can show them data. They don't believe it. You could show them facts. You could show them the actual moments in history where it is true.
1: Well, not for long, you can't show them those moments anymore. Not in schools in Florida, you can't.
0: Anyway, again, the burden falls on women. And it'll be interesting once the ERA passes, what happens to things like student loan debt?
1: And I think the ERA is so important right now, even though it's not tested on these issues of trans rights or abortion. It's so important right now because those issues are being hotly contested and frankly, dangerously contested and losing on our side of it in many places in the country. And I want to talk about abortion in particular, because this year has been a devastating year for abortion access in this country. The Dobbs decision came down earlier this year, overturning Roe versus Wade. What the fuck? What's happening?
0: This should not be surprising to people. I don't know why people are surprised. This is not only has the GOP been working towards this for 50 years, they had a 50-year plan.
1: Fifty years ago today, the Supreme Court handed down its ruling in the case Roe versus Wade. They gave constitutional protection to the right to seek an abortion. But last year, a very different Supreme Court overturned Roe, erasing the right for women across the United States. Ending a pregnancy is now a crime in at least 13 states and severely restricted in at least 12 more.
0: As soon as Roe v. Wade passed, they were like, okay, now we have to put everything together to overturn this. But also, this is why so many of us went to DC to protest Kavanaugh being confirmed to the Supreme Court because we knew, because he was part of that Federalist Society list, and we knew. That the Supreme Court was tipping in the direction of a Republican activist body, whereas the Supreme Court is supposed to have no political agenda at all whatsoever and just decide cases based on the Constitution. Well, we all saw it. As soon as Kavanaugh was the nominee, we were like, this is it. We're getting close. And we protested and we marched and we did all the things. And this Dobbs decision comes down and people are like, oh, they were serious. The Republicans are serious about this. All of my activist friends, all of my feminist friends, we are all almost numb because we feel like we've been fighting this for so long. And the writing was on the wall. So right now we have the state of California who is saying that it will be, continue to be a sanctuary state. I don't know why more states are not following through, but also, I don't know why more industries are not pulling their business from red states. And people say, well, that hurts the working person because the working person, they're going to lose jobs and not be able to feed their family. Then let's figure out how to get the surplus states like California to move the industry and figure out some sort of Universal basic income for people who come and move into this state, because how else do we fight this if we're not penalizing the Republican-led states financially?
1: They're culpable. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, I care about this and here's my money, Ron DeSantis, right? This is a thing Disney absolutely should just pull out of Florida.
0: But also, it's putting the women in my industry who are union members in grave danger. Because let's say, hypothetically, a stunt woman is working in Georgia. She doesn't know she's pregnant. She does a stunt on set. It's her job. She's one of the 90,000 people that my industry employs in the state of Georgia. She has a miscarriage. Then what happens? She's investigated for murder as an entertainment industry, as an industry that prides itself on equality and equity and all of the things. We're allowing productions to put our union members in grave danger by shooting in these areas.
1: Yeah, it's not like they get to say no, too, because if you say no in your union enough times, you lose your health coverage, right? Like, you have to keep working to get your health coverage. So they have to go on these productions. It's not like they even have a choice in the matter if they want to contain their health coverage. So it's a really serious problem, and it's a problem that exists. We see states now trying to prosecute medical professionals for providing abortions. Soon on this podcast, we're going to be talking to one of the women who is suing Texas Because she nearly died when she was denied abortion care from a medical problem, which shouldn't be a consideration, but it wasn't even an elective abortion. It was an emergent procedure. And she nearly died because her doctors didn't believe that they met the legal threshold to give her an abortion. This is very literally going to be killing people. Forget all of the arguments on our side. You cannot possibly claim to be pro-life and say, I'm going to let women die, who, by the way, their babies will die when they die. Their unborn children, if that's what you call them, will die with them. Then I'm going to let them die so they don't have an abortion.
0: And the hypocrisy between being so anti abortion and yet doing nothing about children dying in school. Doctors, I got to ask you first as a physician, as someone who has. Sp- spent your career performing abortions specifically in cases where the mother's life is at risk. And I want you to explain for us how Tennessee's new abortion ban has complicated how you care for patients. Yeah, I mean, it's really quite surreal. I've spent my entire career, just like you said, taking care of patients in those grim situations where often it's a very desired pregnancy and something has gone wrong. And now before I can do that, I have to think, is everyone going to agree with me that she's close enough to death or close enough to having a bodily injury that there won't be any questions and I won't be criminalized? They're not pro-life. They're pro-forced birth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And now we've just seen a couple of court decisions come out on medical abortions, right? And this was brought in Texas by a Christian group that should have had no standing in this case to a Trump judge who overturned something that has never been done before. The FDA's approval of mifepristone, which is one of the two pills used in medication abortions. And the judge has basically ordered that the FDA cannot continue its approval of mifepristone, which is one of the two medications used in medical abortions. And this ruling was full of the language of the Christian nationalist right. It wasn't calling them medical abortions, it was calling it chemical abortions. It wasn't fetuses, it was unborn children in the ruling. And at the same time, a judge in Washington, almost exactly simultaneously, issued a ruling saying the FDA cannot stop, uh, at least in 12 particular states that were members of another lawsuit seeking to protect mifepristone. And so now this is going to go to the Supreme Court. What's going to come out of this?
0: I don't know. I think that it is very likely that it will be taken off the market. And even though I just saw that hundreds of people in the pharmaceutical industry have signed on to some letter stating the safety of the drug and how it's been around for a long time. But what are we doing? Let's connect the dots. We have more in student loan debt we get paid less. The burden of COVID fell on women because obviously women were forced out of the workplace to stay home, take care of the children and be the teachers, caretakers and everything. We are taking away our bodily autonomy. And so what's happening? If you connect the dots, if you look at the big picture here, we are basically stripping A woman of her right to be a modern woman in society. When you think about the fact that in my lifetime, women couldn't get contraception, women couldn't get their own credit cards unless their husband signed off on it, I don't think that our younger generations really have an understanding of what's at stake. I think they're angry and I think that this will be something that propels them to vote if they weren't planning on voting in 2024. But this is the first time in these younger generations that they've had rights taken away from them. And I am looking at these young people, and not only do they have to deal with AR 15s in schools and lockdown drills and social media pressure and all of the things, but then they also have to deal with. The fact that they don't have bodily autonomy, which basically just says you're not allowed to have sex for pleasure. You have one purpose and only one purpose. And I'm going to say it, sex strike. I said it a long time ago. Everybody gave me a hard time. If you're not going to allow us our bodily autonomy, then I'm just going to buy a really good vibrator.
1: No vibrator is ever going to walk out on you, right? No vibrator is going to tell you what you can do with your body, I don't think.
0: No, and no vibrator, more importantly, is going to get us pregnant and force us to continue on with a pregnancy.
1: But, you know, you see this is being pushed as a men's right that somehow these four men should just have a say in what happens in women's bodies. Again, that women are property in that point. They are a vessel a container, an incubator for the man's baby somehow.
0: Well, because we were property. The first feminist textbooks were written in the late 60s. And the reason why it is so hard to convict someone of sexual crimes and domestic violence is because we were considered property. And so it was okay for a man to do whatever he they wanted to do because we were their property.
1: The fact that we still have arguments over whether or not marital rape is a thing, that somehow if you're married to somebody, they cannot rape you, shows you just how little progress we have made.
0: I'm terrified for my daughter, terrified.
1: So let's talk really quickly about social media because you mentioned social media a minute ago. Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. Advertisers have run away from Twitter. He's labeling places like NPR and BBC, which are independent media outlets, as state-funded media. NPR has just quit Twitter. And at the same time, hate speech is flowing like crazy on Twitter.
0: Is Twitter still a thing, though? Do people still go on Twitter?
1: I don't think good people are there very much. There's no, I think, any way to be a Twitter activist anymore. Like You can't just be a digital activist
0: go on there just for outgoing messaging but i'm not i don't read any my stream at all anymore as soon as they changed the algorithm and i started getting like tweets from people from the extreme right on my feed i very rarely open it up i feel like i'm on reddit more than any place else
1: oh god reddit to me is the scariest of the places and part of what i do is in trying to help you and my friends is make sure that people aren't being horrible to you in these places. And holy shit, if you search any woman's name on Reddit, the most disgusting things in the possible world come up. Reddit to me is where there's real danger there. It's almost a dark web place.
0: But you have to search for it. It's not just popping up on your feed.
1: But you don't have to search hard. You could go in and just type in a woman's name. No, it's not just popping up on my feed. But I think about a 12-year-old boy who goes to see Ant-Man, and then he searches Evangeline Lilly's name on Reddit after searching Ant-Man, and the things that 12-year-old boy is going to learn about how he thinks he's supposed to interact with women.
0: That's everywhere, though. You could do that on Google.
1: It's just as somebody who does this stuff a lot, I see it on Reddit in a way that I don't see it, and the things that I see on Reddit are particularly terrifying. There seems to be no regulation of it whatsoever. And that worries me because I guess where I was going with the social media thing is what are boys learning on social media and how can we overcome social media to build better men? Because I think this is where a lot of boys learn now how to act.
0: I've hacked Milo's social media accounts. He's on social media because he's like an elite baseball player and he's got like highlight videos that scouts are looking at. But I always am watching him on social media And I control his accounts. So I go in and I go in and I light puppy videos and baseball videos and women's rights reels and like all the things so that when I do finally hand over his account, him, his account, hopefully I've done enough hacking that he's just getting the purest form of it. I've yet to do that with Bella, although she has her account, but she's not really into the screens. She puts down her iPad to read a book, which of course makes me so proud. So I think once she starts showing interest in social media, then I'll start hacking her account too.
1: So I guess we should wrap up by asking you then what you ask everybody else when they close this out and what gives you hope.
0: Nature gives me hope. And maybe it's because nature has become such a tool for me, for my anxiety. But when you look at the evolution of a plant and the growth of a seed and how trees outlast everything, you know, if we're taking care of the planet, obviously, it gives me a lot of hope in the perfect plan that seems to be in place. Some would call it a glitch in the system or the matrix or whatever, but it does seem to me like there is some perfect higher being plan that we're all just living through and that gives me a lot of faith that we're all right where we're supposed to be
1: i will say i am a full-on atheist and yet when i see giant fungus blob heading to florida it's hard for me to not have a little bit of faith
0: (laughs) hard to not realize that there is a perfect plan right when that blob is headed to florida I love Florida. Florida is really beautiful. Just hate the politics.
1: Fantastic place. My mom lives there. Lots of great people who live there. The political system is a mess there, and I hope they get it sorted out. Well, Alyssa Milano, you give me hope. Thank you for all you do and for being the heart of this podcast.
0: Thank you for all you do. You give me hope. Hey, listen up, because I'm about to drop some knowledge that's going to blow your mind about the history of women's fight for the freedom to control our own bodies. And you're going to find out who's really behind the effort to take that freedom away. It's a struggle that's been going on for centuries. And now, more than any time in the past 50 years, it's one we've never been closer to losing.
1: We often talk about these issues as women's issues. And I wanna make sure that we don't lose the fact that these are American issues, that these are human issues, and that these are the responsibility of men to join in the fight, to follow the women who are leading this fight, and to get in line and get it fixed. We can't just allow this to be the domain of women, to allow them to fix the problems that we have created for them. And make no mistake, we as men created these problems. Instead, we must be active participants in the solutions, not as leaders, not as those deciding what will happen, but as supporters of those most impacted. And we're all impacted. So go out there, men, follow the leaders, follow the women, and fight for American equality.